welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We've been speaking about identity. Who's enjoyed the series so far? Who feels just a little bit different? Who, who feels a little bit changed? Who's taken the word of God to heart and, and massaged in their life that they're living life differently as a result? Because that's the way you repay a preacher. You repay a preacher by putting the word of God into practice. Not just hearing, but doing as well. And I want to continue this series on identity this morning. And I want to start with this thought. That our biggest challenge today as Christians is not our faith for things, but it's our faith for our identity. It's not faith for things that's the problem, it's a faith for identity. I mentioned last week that Abraham was known as the father of our faith. But it's interesting that this man, the father of our faith, went to a place where God told him not to go. He went to Egypt. He was told not to take his family, but he took Lot, his nephew, with him. He went to a certain place and because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing, he ended up getting in trouble and he ended up pimping his wife twice, the father of our faith. And then because the promises of God were taking so long to be fulfilled in his thinking and his, in his, his understanding, he ends up sleeping with a woman by the name of Hagar and has son by the name of Ishmael. And that has produced problems ever since for us right up until now. And yet he was still regarded as a father of faith. In Romans 4 verse 3, it says, what does the scripture say? Not what do you say about Abraham? I mean, if we were left to think, what do you think of Abraham after that? We would come up with a lot of conclusions. But the Bible says, what do the scriptures say about Abraham? It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham was a man of faith and he was considered righteous by God. And this righteousness came apart from his works. It was a righteousness that was imputed by God into Abraham's account. It would be like a poor man having no money to pay his bills, but a rich man puts money into his account so he can pay the bills. It's not his money, it was given into his account. And so he had the money. He was a poor man, but he became rich, not with his own wealth, but with someone else's wealth. Abraham was considered righteous, not because of his righteous works or his righteous deeds, but because of the righteousness of God. And God in His sovereignty said, I'm going to impute that into your life. Nothing to do with the way Abraham lived his life. Abraham just believed. And that's what faith is in its purest, simplest form. It's believing God. It's not believing about God. It's not believing in God. You can believe in God, well done. The devil believes in God. You can believe all about God. You can know all about God. You can read all the books about God and know all about Him. But you still might not know Him. You might be a, study of his, a studier of history and you might know all about the presidents of the United States but never knew one of them. But you know all about them. Faith is simply 
knowing God. Everyone say, knowing God. It's about us believing God. Can I just get someone, Emmerich, quickly, to get that grey chair and bring it up here? That would be great. How many of you believe? I could sit on this chair. How many believe I could sit on this chair? How many believe I could sit on this chair? Without it breaking. You believe I can sit on this one? You don't believe I can sit on that one without it breaking? No? Faith is all about believing. I would sit on that chair because I believe it could hold me. I wouldn't sit on that one because I, I don't believe it could hold me. My question to you is, do you believe God can hold your life? Do you believe in God sufficiently enough that He can hold you no matter what you are going through, no matter what you are facing, no matter what circumstance you are in right now? Do you believe that God is big enough to hold you? See, the question is, how big is your God? Have you got a puny little God that if you just put your cares on Him, He would crumble? Or do you believe God is magnificent and glorious and able to hold all my problems, but not just my problems, your problems too? Do you believe that? You know, the only person that could sit in that is a little person. And we've got lots of little people. You don't want to shrink down to that. We want to get bigger We want to be better people. And that starts with knowing God. When you know God, you'll find out some things about yourself. Faith is simply believing God. This whole series is about believing what is being preached, not just knowing it. It's about believing it. And by believing in it, we start to live in it. Abraham believed God. He looked at his life and think, how could God love me? After all I've done, yet, I believe God. That's faith. It's believing God, not believing in Him, not believing about Him, just believing Him. See, we've made life all about a quantity issue, but it's actually an identity issue. When Jesus sent out the disciples, He said, I'm going to send you out with nothing. He said, I want you to go out two by two with nothing. Because he was trying to teach them something about themselves. He was trying to teach them something about God and his provision. See, the issue is not I need and I want. People think that happiness is based upon receiving things. The trouble is as many people have lots of things, but they don't know who they are. And so as a result, they're still small and insecure and afraid of everything. But God is wanting us to have a revelation 
about the goodness of God. And it's interesting, those disciples that got sent out with nothing came back overjoyed that God provided everything they need and their understanding of who God is got bigger. And that's what we need to truly understand who we are. Our understanding of who God is needs to increase. And it's for that reason that we as a church seldom teach on faith for things. We seldom do that. Occasionally we'll bring people out the front and pray for them, but we we don't do that often. Because that just opens up a whole massive can of worms and you've got to end up doing that forever. We teach things like giving and we teach things like overcoming, granted, as we should. But my passion, the thing that drives me, is us having an understanding of who God is. Understanding who He is and what He's done for us. See, the antidote to worry is knowing who you belong to, not just having your needs met. See, it's hard to sell Christianity to people when you're as stressed out and as miserable as everyone else you're trying to convert. The key to Christianity is not things. The key to Christianity is a relationship with God. It's a faith walk in one who is bigger than anything you'll ever face and placing your trust in Him. In Matthew chapter 6, Verse 24, it says this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And he says, look at the birds of the air. It's an identity conversation. He says, take a look at them. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor nor spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone to, uh, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how uh, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus uses nature to help them understand their identity. He says, consider the birds. They're not stressed out. You don't see a bird smoking cigarettes, nor joints, nor shooting up. They're not on prescription meds. They're free as a bird. 
Why? Because God looks after them. Consider the lilies of the field. They're beautiful. They're magnificent. But they don't worry. And here's the clincher. Jesus, how much more important are you than birds or flowers? Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are more important than birds or flowers? We spoke about being chosen. Here's the clincher. God didn't choose birds or flowers. He chose you. God chose you. He chose you and not the birds and the flowers. We need to just relax, chill out. You know, one thing I love about our kids, they're not stressed out about where their next meal is coming from. They're so secure that they're going to get fed, they start demanding what they want. It's never an issue of, are we going to get food today? They just relax in the knowledge that dad will provide. The Bible says, unless you come like a child, you'll never truly grasp the enormity of what I'm saying. Kids don't worry about things we as adults do. See, when you find God, you end up finding yourself. And when you get to know God, you get to know yourself. And I believe for us to truly find out who we are, we must understand whose we are. We have people joining all sorts of clubs and gangs because they want to belong to something in order to know who they are. You'll never know who you are until you know whose you are. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, reading from verse 15, uh, 17, sorry, this is his prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul doesn't pray, I pray that God will provide all your needs. He doesn't pray, I pray that God would give you a brand new car. He doesn't say, I pray that God would heal you from your sickness. His number one prayer for the saints, the Christians, not only for his generation, but all generations to come, is that the eyes of our heart would be opened in order that we might know God more. Because the more we know God, the more we will know ourselves. The more we understand God, the more we will understand ourselves. And so this whole thing of identity is about us understanding whose we are. And we need to use our faith to discover our identity. I want to look at some things that we are in order to help us do that this morning. Just three things very quickly. The first thing is this that you need to understand that you are accepted. You are accepted. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, To the praise and the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. We have to accept the fact that we've been accepted by God. Not on what I can do, not on what I can say, not on what I can look like, not on what, where I live. That's what these weeks have all been about. It's not when we win. It's not whether we lose. It's not whether we are good. It's not whether we are bad. But that we've been accepted. In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, when the disciples came back just rejoicing in all the great things God had done through them, because, you know, they went out two by two, they didn't have anything, but they came back and said, man, it's amazing. The demons are being cast out in our names. It was awesome. And they started talking about all the things they had done. And Jesus, being the greatest teacher of all time, says this. He says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in your relationship with God. Rejoice in who you are, a son and a daughter of heaven. Don't rejoice about things. Don't rejoice in your position. I'm sorry, rejoice in your position, not your performance. See, in Christ, and the Bible talks a lot about being in Christ. In Christ, we have right standing with God. I've used this illustration numbers of times before. I'm going to do it one more time. This little guy represents you. This little guy represents me. He represents Abraham. He represents every person who's ever walked this planet. And all of us were born into sin. There is nothing we could do to earn favour with God. There's nothing we could do to get right standing with God. Not in our own strength. All of us, like Abraham, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We may not have pimped our wife. We may not have done that. But we would have done other things that separated us from God. Based on our own righteousness, we, we, we cannot afford to be with God. Jesus is the only Man who ever walked this earth and never sinned. Which makes him righteous. And on the cross, there was a divine exchange. Your unrighteousness for his righteousness. And so the Bible says it this way. That when you and I are in Christ. In Christ. We become righteous. We can go to the throne room of grace with great confidence because God doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. And because we believed, because we accepted Him, we have forgiveness. We are accepted. Righteousness is a gift from God. It can't be earned. It can't be bought. It can't be lost. It's a gift. It's a gift from God to us. You are accepted. When you understand that you're already accepted, you can relax. And when you relax, you're a little bit more chilled out. When you're a little bit more chilled out, people like hanging around you. When people like hanging around you, they get to know you. When people get to know you, they get to like you. When they get to like you, they start taking you up on the invitations to come to places like this. Evangelism is not rocket science. 
But if you are struggling with who you are and trying to please God and trying to please people and trying to do this and trying to do that, you're going to end up being worn out. And when we invite people to church, you're going to say, what? Really? You want me to come to church and be like you? Really? You want me to take my good life and, and, and adopt what you've got? Are you kidding me? But imagine a life full of peace and full of joy just because we've been accepted. And our boast is not in how good we are, but how good he is. Secondly, I am adopted. JD came through and spoke about this recently. You can get it on the uh, website. Spoke a whole series, a whole message on this. In his church, he spoke a whole series on this subject. Not only does God accept us, but he invites us into his family. So it's not like he says, okay, you're forgiven, but you live over there. He says, you're not only forgiven, but I want you to live with me. What a God. Well, you, you, you mean out in the shed with you? No, 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 I mean in my house. I mean with me. You mean in your house, like, you know, kind of like it's a semi-detached house. I want you to be with me. He adopts us into his family. Adoption means that you become a son. And being a son means that you are an heir. And being an heir means that you're an owner. Prince William came to Australia just recently and he didn't walk around like this, head low, worried about everything. But he's part of royalty. He's a son. He's an heir. He's an owner. And so he walks and talks accordingly. Our walk and talk should match our theology. That we are sons. We are owners. We are heirs. Are you getting this into your heart and spirit this morning? Here's the thing though. You're no better than a slave if you don't understand this. Can you imagine Prince William not grasping the thought that he was a son and an heir and a prince? Can you imagine if he had never actually grasped that, how different his life would look? He wouldn't be having, wearing the clothes that he's wearing. He wouldn't be flying around the way he flies around and etc., etc. It comes down to an understanding of who we are. We are adopted. We own the whole estate. For me to be able to stand in front of so many different people. I mean, I don't know if you see the enormity of what I did on Friday night. To be able to tell certain types of people that were there in love that they're wrong. Where, where, where does that confidence come to overcome that fear? It comes out of this. I'm a son of God and I'm an heir. And if you start getting that into your spirit, you'll start walking tall. You'll start wasting your time trying to get faith for things. We don't need faith for things so much as we need faith 
for our identity and who we are. And that's why there's so much of our teaching goes in and around this subject because we need faith for who we are. Last point this morning is this. I am adored. This one's going to mess with some of your heads. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says this. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. See, you weren't chosen by God just to fulfill a purpose, but you were chosen for his pleasure. See, Christianity is about being with God. Being must precede doing. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus said, he went up to the mountainside. So the Bible says Jesus went up to a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed the 12, that's the apostles, the disciples, the 12 disciples, designating them apostles. Why? That they might be with him. Be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. What was the first reason and the first purpose that God called the 12? To train them. No. To teach them. To preach at them. Finally, I've got an audience. Jesus chose the 12 that he could hang with them, that he could be with them, that he could chill with them. Mitch, Geordie, can you please come up here? You can come up here. Just sit on there and just, oh, cool, Mitch, that's nice, nice move. Just... Just sit down here. Actually, no, no, sit on the chair like that. That's great. You could have a cheek each. <laughs> These are two of my kids. This is Jordan. Everyone say hi to Jordan. She's beautiful. Isn't she beautiful? This is Mitch. He's awesome. Got his fan club there. That was your moment. Just go like that. Peace out. Yeah, okay. We've also got another one. She's in the kids and she's four. She's, 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 she's my cutest one. She's the cutest. Beautiful, handsome, cute. (laughs) Parents, listen to me. When we decided to have kids, Kath and I didn't sit down and think, we need some kids because I'm getting sick and tired of doing the cleaning. (laughs) We didn't have kids so that uh, the laundry could get done. The bins could get taken out. Now, if you ask these two, some of the jobs they do, that's some of the jobs they do. That's not why we had them, though. We didn't give birth to human doings. We gave birth to human beings. When Kath and I talked around the subject of having kids, it was we wanted kids. We wanted to be with some kids. 
we just had this stir in our heart. I just wanted to, we wanted some kids. I'm sure Sean and Jen in announcing that they're having number two, is, is there was this, we just want another one. We don't want another dishwasher. We don't want another bin taker out of her. We want another child. Why? Because we want to be with them. Isn't it sad that the very precious beings that we chose to bring into this world to be with them, we get so busy working, earning more money to feed these little things, to give them a nice education and a nice home and a nice car, when really it's not for them at all. It's because we are not secure in who we are yet. And so the very beings we wanted to be with, sorry to embarrass your kids, The people we wanted to be with, we're not with because we're too busy over here working and working and working and working and working. And then so-and-so gets a new home and we think, oh, our home looks a bit daggy now. So we put an extension on. So now we've got to get another job and now we're working. Hey, you going, kids? You all right? Got to work. And I'm working and I'm working. Isn't it insane? This picture represents so many families in this nation. And unfortunately, if I'm honest, I think it represents too many families in this church. And we have to get our priorities right again. Because if we could get our priorities right, we may just have a voice that's worth listening to. But while we're as busy as everyone else and says, you've got to come to church, you know, I won't be there this week. But if you can get The times we have people who finally come to church that you asked and you're not here boggles my mind. Pete and I are scrambling, oh, so-and-so, yeah, it's great to have you here. So-and-so's not actually here today. Um, it's ridiculous. And this is how we do our Christianity, same thing. You can get down, kids. Sorry, you've just done a great job. I'm going to pay for that in the cafe. You can have whatever you want, kids, okay? Just whatever you want, okay? Whatever. Got it? Christianity. It's us with God, God with us. Jesus didn't choose you to save the world. He didn't choose you to start a church. He didn't choose you to start a bookshop in the church, Jen. He didn't choose you to just look after cars in the car park, Bruce. That's not why he chose us. That's not why he called us. He didn't die for us that we could get so busy working for him that he never sees us. The number one desire in God choosing us in the first place is because he's absolutely madly in love with us and we are the apple of his eye and it's a pleasure for him to be with us. That's it. That's it. People sometimes try to patronise me. Oh, it's good today. Simple, but good. I take that as a badge of honour. I work really hard at trying to keep things simple. Most theologians are like men in a dark room with their eyes closed looking for a black hat (laughs) and trying to impress us with that. And they they wow us. Wow, that's great. Anyways, how does that help me in my situation? So great teaching. 
Nothing to do with my life. Awesome. Anyway, if you catch this, no one appreciates me. Maybe you're just too busy to be appreciated. Just take some time out. I feel like the Lord would say, thus, verily, stop and smell the coffee of coffee of. I do, I just like, like, just chill, be with me. Can't God, but God, why? Why would you give your life to Jesus and then ignore him for the rest of your life? Why would you do that? Why would you have kids and then ignore him? It doesn't make sense to me. I think I've said this every week of this series. If you have to sell your home to get this right, sell your home. If you have to get rid of a car or two, do it. Not because we're a cult, because you know you need to do that to bring some sanity back to your life. We have some nice things and I have some nice clothes, but it's in the context of my reality. You know, people panic about their mortgage. It doesn't touch Kath and I. Because we don't have this massive mortgage that's crippling us. Honestly, the interest rates could double and we wouldn't touch us. Oh, it's all right for you. Yes, it is. You know why? We've made some good, wise decisions. We didn't go for the biggest, most expensive home with all the treatment. We just live within our means. We didn't put our kids in a private school that we couldn't afford just because we will feel better about ourselves. I don't want to be working that much that I can't spend time with the people that I love most. And yes, God does have a job for us to do. He does. And I'm getting to that, but I'm just laboring this point because I know once we start into doing, you'll just... You've got to get the being right. And it's from a place of security in our being, we do things for him. So our kids do serve and do help. Mitchie's working in the cafe. It's right. After all this church has done for him, it's right to give something back. But not to earn favor, but just out of appreciation. It's the least he can do. And I think they get something free if they serve on the cafe. I think that's part of it too. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Are you getting this? It kind of feels a little bit different than last week's meeting, which is good. Don't have the luxury of always being the same. Just close your eyes just for a minute. Just think about your own families. Got to get this right. If you don't get this right and you're as stressed out as everyone else, you can invite a thousand people to church and they'll never come because they don't want to be like you. They love you enough, they won't tell you that, but they'll just say no. But that will equal, why would I want to be like you? The Bible says that we are to be blessed and the word blessed means to be envied. Our lifestyles are meant to be so envious. Why is it the mortgage rates go up? You don't even panic. Why? I like that about you. Tell me more. I love the look on those men's faces on Friday night. There was this, there was, they were in quite like how, there was this inquisitive kind of nature, like how did it, it didn't add up. I love that. Love it. Having so much fun, but without the alcohol and without the fear that's attached to so many nightclubs these days. An envious lifestyle. But it's got to start with us. 
And it doesn't start with outward things, it starts with inward things. How much of your prayer life is spent just adoring God and being with Him? I was like a little kid, I couldn't sleep for a night. I was just like, God, I love you, you're awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, what a, I love you, Lord. Oh, I love you, Lord. God, you're good to me. I love you so much, Lord. Oh, it's one o'clock, Lord. I've got to go to sleep, Lord. But gee, I just love being with you. It's just awesome. I've got needs, I've got problems, I've got things we're facing, but oh, Lord, you're good. You're good. There's a time for doing, there's a time for asking for things. But let's not just seek God's hand, let's seek his face. Amen. You please stand with me. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.